Come on, a lot of good things happening right now around the house, and I hope that you jump in on those. I know that today is going to be really good, and before I introduce our guest speaker, I kind of want to go with the tradition of this house. I want to start off by, man, just welcoming our Germantown family and our Westside Atlanta family. Come on, can you let them know you love them, you appreciate them? Pastor Eric, Pastor Lisa, we love you. Awesome, and uh, man, one of the best parts about this house is is um, just the way that we honor those who serve our community, who serve our nation. We honor the leadership that has been in this house, and honor is a big part of what we do. And I want to take a moment and just say a big thank you to everyone in the room who or watching online that's a first responder, or maybe you served in the military or you're active in the military. Can we give it up for these people? Man, their sacrifice lets us be in here and do this right here. Come on. We appreciate you and all that you lay down for, our, for uh, our families and for the ability to worship in this house freely. But today, we've got a special guest with us today. If you know anything about our church and you've been apart for a while, we have what we call legacy partners. And our legacy partners are local, some of them are international, and there are all sorts of different varieties of different ministries. And every now and then, you get the privilege to hear directly from them as they present a little bit of their story. And today, you're going to hear uh, from Micah McCormick. Elvin with Vapor Ministries, who we've been supporting for uh, a few years now and just doing incredible work. Not only are you going to hear a little bit about what he does, but he is bringing a challenging word this morning that I know is going to stretch you a little bit and push you out of your comfort zone in the right way, and I believe God's going to honor it. But can you put your hands together and welcome Micah McElveen to the stage? Can you do that? Well, my name is Micah McElveen, and I serve alongside over 570 team members that are advancing the gospel and serving the poorest on planet Earth right now through Vapor Ministries. And we're actually doing that in part because of our partnership with you. I want to start by introducing a couple of friends, board members. Uh, first, Dennis Ross, will you stand up? Uh, give it up for one of our board members who lives in town. Thank you for your service. Also, Brent and Angela Fielder, will you stand just for a moment? Uh, thank you for your friendship, your support. They're also board members that are here in Atlanta. And then I have my family traveling with me. And I'd first like to introduce my little baby girl. She's our grace gift, given Gracia. She's four but I'm telling you, she's tearing up your nursery. So, Pastor, you're going to have to bill us. But our, our next, he's our little lover. He's our little peace arrow, Errol Amani. And he's just back there blessing every soul. So maybe he'll make up for the, the damage of giving, right? No. And then last but not least, uh, my absolute best friend. Uh, babe, will you please stand up? This is my bride. I'll put in my coverage. Audrey, love you. Thankful for you. And, and on behalf of our board, our, our global teams, my family, I want to start by saying a sincere thank you, and I also want you to let you know that I am delighted to be here with you this morning. Now, when we were worshiping, I felt the energy throughout the service. I felt the energy. It seems like there's a bunch of people in the house that are glad to be here. If that's you, turn to your neighbor and just say, I'm delighted to see you. Now, Germantown, I can't see y'all up there in Maryland, and I can't see y'all at the West Campus, but in the room here, most of y'all had two neighbors, and for some reason, you chose one over the other. 
So now you got to turn to your second choice, and you got to say, they really do let anybody in here. <laughs> so this is my second time uh, here, and with that, I naturally have not gotten to meet all of you. And though that's t- uh, true, I can share two things with confidence. Uh, and the first is I know that you and I both share a love for your pastors. J.C., Kimberly, you are amazing pastors. They're getting some refreshment right now. It's their anniversary. Look, they love Jesus. They love the lost. They love the globe. They love the gospel. And I am telling you, they have a passion for this church, a passion for this house. So all campuses, all around, give it up one more time for your pastors. Thank you. We honor you. Thank you for what you do. So I believed we shared that, but I know we share the next thing as well. As well. Uh, you and I, all of us, if you have breath in your lungs, we all share a desire for delight. We want to be happy. Right? Wired into our internal engine is this longing for happiness, a desire for delight. Delight is defined as a high degree of of pleasure or enjoyment. We want our own good. Inside of us, we want to be satisfied, to experience delight. But there's a problem. In between, our greatest joy stands a foe, and its name is danger. You see, here's a truth you can take to the bank. The path to the highest delight leads through the valley called danger. And to get what we desire most, we have to pass through what we want least. And yet at this point, we have a challenge. Because we have been taught wrong as it pertains to risk, danger, challenge. You see... In our context, we have been weaned to believe that life is all about self-preservation. Life is all about personal satisfaction. Life is all about my comfort, my happiness at all costs. And so we tend to ignore or push back anything that may lead us to do something that may be defined as dangerous. And so we have to be recalibrated if we want to get to a high an eternal, an unsurpassing delight. And so this morning, I want to share a word, a talk with you. Three truths in a talk that we'll simply call Delight in Danger. My desire is to add value. And so if you're a note taker, uh, we're going to share some talk or we're going to share some uh, truths. We're going to share some takeaways. So go ahead and get your pen and pad out or your, or your phone or however you do it. But I, I want to truly bless you this morning. I want to prepare you. I want to equip you. And so there's three thoughts, three truths, and, and they, they, they set up like this. One of the truths, the first principle, it's really a countercultural. So it's, it's simply designed to help us recalibrate. The second is a little bit challenging, so that's the one where you got to buckle down a little bit. But they all lead to where the gold's at. The good comes at the end. So if you get halfway through and you say, hey, this is a little bit challenging, hold on, good's coming, okay? First truth, first principle, recalibrate 
is simply danger doesn't mean don't. Take care. Look twice. Come back in one piece. Good advice, by the way. Or how about this one you hear around the church a lot, potentially if you've been in church for a long time. The center of God's will is what? The safest place to be. See, we are actually weaned to avoid risk. We're nursery rhyme raised to run from anything that appears to be dangerous. And in that context, a myth can become theology. We can believe that safety and being right with God are synonymous. To be safe is to be holy. And anything against that is actually not from God. But what if I told you that in God's economy, the danger often means do. This morning we're going to look at the life of Paul, specifically a snapshot of his life that is found predominantly in Acts 20 and 21. But to set up the text for those that are not as familiar with Paul, so Paul was opposed to Jesus. He was opposed to the gospel. He was one who persecuted those that followed Jesus until he met the real Jesus. And then once he met Christ, he began to spend his life helping people connect to the love of God. He cared for people physically and spiritually. And if you were to to divide his ministry, part of his life was spent amongst the irreligious, the, the Gentiles, those that were far from God. They didn't have the knowledge of God. And then part of his life was spent pursuing the religious who were still lost. And so we move into Acts 20, and we find these two things are happening in the life of Paul. One, he is compelled, and two, he is warned. So he's compelled, see, he's ministering amongst the Gentiles, but he's compelled, move back and serve amongst the irreligious but lost in Jerusalem, the Jews. But he's being warned as he's moving towards that, danger, danger, danger. And as the the plot thickens, the closer Paul gets, the more these warnings become clear until it becomes absolutely crystal clear that danger is going to come get him if he keeps going. And so he meets this group of uh, believers, and a prophet named Agabus comes out, and then we pick up our text. It is right here in Acts 21.11, and he, referring to Agabus, he comes over, he takes Paul's belt, And then he binds his own feet and hands with it. So let's put ourselves in the text. This is a little bit, if you think about it, this is almost a little bit weird, right? I mean, he comes up, walks up to Paul, starts unbuckling or undoing his belt. And then he pulls it off. And then he takes it, he puts it behind his back, and he puts his hands around, wraps it around his hands. And then he gets down and he binds his feet. And he says, Paul, I want to make it crystal clear. I've got a message from the Spirit of God. And here's the message. So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. Paul, you keep moving forward and you will encounter 
danger, persecution, suffering. Now what's interesting is when we look at the response of those gathered, the local believers alongside of Agabus, we actually very much relate to their response. It's very natural, and I think it's very normal in our day today. Let's see how they respond. They say, when we heard this, we and the local believers begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Paul, this makes no sense. Paul, don't do it. Paul, it's not worth it. Please, don't move forward. Why? For them? Maybe for us? The Spirit says danger, the prophet says danger, the people of God say danger, and that clearly means don't, right? When we think about it, we realize that actually woven into our psyche, wired into our thought patterns, is an equation that kind of gets locked in. And and here's the, the equation, right? Taken to an extreme, it goes like this, danger equals don't. But Paul, he begged to differ. And his response is compelling. It's convicting. We find it when he says, why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of our Lord Jesus. Paul reminds us that there's something beyond danger. Paul reminds us that there are things, there is a person that must motivate us to the point where we look at things not through our cultural lens and not even our own natural inclinations but we have to see past that which would hinder us. See, Paul reminds us that while the world around us may be running from the things that God calls us to, that our very lives were given to us to run to the things that God has designed for us, designed for others, and desires for us through those things. As we look into the life of Paul, as we look into the New Testament, we see example after example of people willing to face danger for the cause of Christ. Now, now I want to be clear, I'm not advocating, right, we, we throw caution to the wind that we be reckless for recklessness sake. That's not the point. The encouragement here is let mission direct your sail. In a formative period in my journey, I had just graduated a college. I had an undergrad degree in intercultural studies, and there was job offers that were there, and I was working on a master's in counseling, but God began to do something unique in my spirit, something I didn't understand. You see, I didn't have a passport, didn't have a visa. I had never been on a missions trip, but this thing inside began to, to well up in me, and I began to believe that I was actually supposed to live amongst people in extreme poverty, to go in serve in Africa. Now, it it threw me off, and it threw those around me off for sure, and one day I called my dad wrestling in this, and and my dad spoke some words to me. Now, I want to be very clear. I honor my father, and I don't think my dad was doing anything wrong, but I had kind of an Agabus moment. My father said, 
son, Africa. There's lots of jobs available for you here. There's plenty of opportunity, right? You may leave some of your gift sets on the table. You don't know. Are, Are you sure? And I remember going home from that conversation, and I pulled out my journal, and I wrote in this journal, here's the 12 reasons why Micah shouldn't go to Africa. And by the grace of God, there were other voices and and the word of God speaking in saying, hey, look, don't give up on something that God has called you to. And in time, I I came to a place that I want to encourage you this morning. I want to give you this takeaway. Because to walk through danger, to go countercultural, you're going to have to settle into a reality. You're going to have to settle into the truth that you and I both must turn from opinion and turn to his voice. We must open up his word. We must listen to his way. We must lean into his spirit. And regardless of what culture, regardless of what the world says, simply say, as you lead, I will follow. So the first truth is real. We have to reorient ourselves. Danger doesn't always mean don't. Oftentimes it may mean do. But the second truth, it's a little bit challenging. See, I wish it went like this. I wish it went look like, hey, the hard part is to just make that decision that you're all in, and then everything is gravy, right? It's a bed of thornless roses from there. But oftentimes, the second truth is a reality, and mark this down, danger deals discomfort. So we pick the story back up with Paul. Paul is faithful. He continues to pursue God's call. He finds his way into Jerusalem, and now he begins to minister. There's people that are responding. Good is happening. He's caring for the poor, but there's also liars. There's also people that are speaking evil. Uh, There's a group of people that rally around, begin to come after him, and then we pick it up. He's in the temple sharing, and we find ourselves at this pivotal moment, Paul is now grabbed and dragged. Now pause. He is there sharing the love of God. He is there doing good for God. And all of a sudden, they come after him. And sometimes I like to put myself in the text and just kind of feel the weight of it. And there's something about this portion of it that's, that's, that's just, I don't know, it just speaks to me. Imagine being in this moment. Here you are sharing, teaching, and people are coming after you. Then all of a sudden, those gates, those doors, they close. Immediately, the gates closed behind him. I imagine he's alone. I imagine he's questioning. He's in the heat of the moment. And and the group of people, they are after him. They are trying to take his very life. So Agabus' prophecy is coming true. The local people are after him because the, the local area was ruled by the Romans. Now the Roman guards are called in and the Roman guards are actually trying to protect his life because the, 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 their attempt to harm him intensifies and then it climaxes in this particular text in Acts 21.35 and it says, as Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him and the crowd followed behind him shouting, kill him. Kill him. I can't imagine. I mean, all he's doing is what's right before God. All he's doing is pursuing the good of others. I can't imagine what's going through his mind and what's going through his heart. 
I wonder if he's looking back at that beach and, and seeing those believers and seeing Agabus and saying, maybe I shouldn't have come. I wonder if he had a moment of questioning as he was experiencing the discomfort and saying, God, where are you? And I want to just speak to the person for a moment who is in discomfort for doing the right thing. And I want to just tell you, he is honored in it. He is present in it. He is Emmanuel. I want to just tell you, for the one who said, you know what, I'm no longer going to gossip and speak against with these people, and now you found yourself with no one to talk to. He's honored. I want to tell the young man, the young woman who's standing up at their local school, who's being a testimony for Jesus Christ, and find yourself alone. He is honored in your discomfort. I want to tell the person in the marketplace who says, I'm going to take a different stance, and for that different stance, and for standing on your principles, godly principles, you've been passed over, you've been skipped over, you have been maligned. I want to say he is honored in your discomfort. I do not pray trial, I do not pray persecution at this level on any person, but I want to remind our brothers and sisters overseas that are fighting for Jesus Christ in hard places, that are suffering for the cause of Christ, he is honored in your discomfort, he is with you, he is Emmanuel, hold on, he is not far, he draws near to the broken reed, sometimes danger delivers discomfort. Now, I want to distinguish two kinds of discomfort because there is a trial that trails transgression, right? Some amongst you are sick, weak, or dead. And God does invite us as his children to walk according to his way. And God invites anyone who does not know him to turn to him. And it is true that when we violate his way, when we go our own way, we can experience some discomfort. We can experience chastisement, right? And so if that's you, turn to him. He's a loving father. He wants you back. He is saying, come, his arms are open. But we're talking about the trouble that trods alongside triumph. We're talking about a trouble that comes with doing the right thing. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a time in that first year I got to live in Africa uh, we've been doing vapor ministries for about 17 years now. By the grace of God, amazing things are happening through our partnership. But the, the early days, they look different. Got to live in my car for uh, ultimately about two years in the process, the early days. And it was, it was all kind of all in. And I was living in a, a community in Africa. And the, and the challenges that we were experiencing were, were pretty strong. And, but God was also doing some great things as we were building out the ministry and had an opportunity to serve alongside of a professional team. And that professional soccer team, we got an invitation to play in an area of the country where there was voodoo and witchcraft. It was normalized in this particular tribe. So my brothers and sisters, my African brothers and sisters, uh, many of them had become followers of Christ. We were doing Bible studies. And, and we show up to this game. When we get there, there's no security. There's no police. And if there isn't security, you can actually cancel the game. So we decided, let's go ahead and play. And we moved into, uh, you know, kind of the practices early on. Well, we didn't know that there was, there was witchcraft and seance ceremonies before. And there was actually bones laid at the, the edge of the goalpost, stuff that I wasn't familiar with. And when, when I stepped on the field, um, there was a frenzy that went off. And one of the referees came and got me and said, hey, you need to step off the field. Uh, there's some beliefs about how you can actually counteract the spells. And I was like, I I'm, I'm in over my head. I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to listen to the referee. So I was just like, step to the sidelines, no problem. 
Well, we get into the game, and things were getting pretty dicey, and I went to one of our team officials, and I said, I'll charter the bus. Uh, I think we need to get out of here right after the game. He said, oh, don't worry. No problem. It'll be all right. Well, and then the worst thing that could have happened happened. We won the game. And all of a sudden, it was like folks were pouring in from all over. And my, my African brothers and sisters, they grabbed me and pulled me to the middle. And, and there was rocks thrown, and I almost broke my ribs. And I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was crazy. It was actually on national news. And it was one of those chaotic, crazy scenes that's hard to describe if you're in the middle of it. And I was positive. I was done. And the whole story that unfolds is is only God's story. It's actually in, in my book called Dying for Purpose. You can get it later. I'm not here to tell that whole story. But there was a moment in that, in that middle that, that I just remember just eyes on Jesus. And all of a sudden, this comfort that, that I cannot explain came over. It didn't matter. The circumstances didn't matter. The danger didn't matter. It was like, he's got me. And whether I live or die, it really doesn't matter. I'm in his arms. And so I just want to simply encourage you at this juncture. If you walk into that discomfort, if you're in that discomfort, hold on. And sp more specifically, hold the comforter through the discomfort. He is there. He is present. He will carry you through. So the first truth is, a, is kind of a recalibrator, right? We have to reorient ourselves to our thoughts around danger, because danger doesn't always mean don't, right? And then the second one is, is, is real for us as well. We have to be mindful that there is a cost, right? In this life, we will find trouble. But the third is where the good is at. It's where the gold is at. It's where it all is headed. So mark this down as well. It motivated Paul. Let it motivate you. Danger delivers delight. There's a now delight, and then there's a then delight. And in Christ, by his spirit, we can have both. The first we see back in the context we were just at, Paul. The Bible tells us that by the grace of God, he gets through the melee. The soldiers actually, uh, the Bible says, get him up to the stairs, and they have this conversation with him, and basically they're assuming like, hey, we're out of here, right? We're getting him out, and Paul says, no, 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 I've got something i got to say, right? And as we enter the text, the Bible says Paul gets to the top of the stairs, motions to the people to be quiet. And I want to just pause right there. Um, Paul is so different than me. One day, Lord willing, I will have the level of the Spirit of God moving in me that I'll respond this way. But if I'm Paul, and I don't know about you, because I know there's a lot of holy people here, right? But if I'm Paul, and I go through that nonsense, and I get to the top of the stairs, peace out. <laughs> I mean, y'all just spitting on me, hitting me, beating me. I'm just here for your good. I just want to share the love of Jesus. That's all you've got for me. And I clear this mess, I'm gone. See you later. But Paul, he had his eyes fixed. He was focused on something different. And I believe in this moment, he was not only honoring God, we know that. 
but I believe he was actually experiencing a kind of delight that we can experience in this world when we, walking with God, push through the obstacles and experience heaven's smile and get that touch because we know we know that we're walking in the fullness of what God has for us. We're simply going to, despite rain, despite flowers, despite the season, we're just going to do what he calls us to do. And so Paul gets to the top of the stairs and he says, no, 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 no. I didn't go through all this mess to miss the moment. There's delight in this moment. And he shares, he addresses them, he shares the love of Jesus Christ. And you may say, how do you know that Paul was so motivated and that Paul actually uh, thought he would experience delight? How do you know that Paul felt it was worth it and all that stuff? Well, partly how I know is because he said as much. On his way to this very moment, in his words, he says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord. And then he describes what that work was. Check this out. He says, the work of what? Doing what I'm doing on the top of these stairs. I came here for this moment. And no, I'm not asking for the beatdown, but no matter what, there is a delight that God has for me, and it comes when we walk in the fullness of his calling, when we're not distracted, when we lean in, and at all costs, we simply say, I will push forward for the gospel, for the call, for the purpose for which God has given me. And he shares that good news about the grace of God. But let me just tell you that this was the secondary motivation. Because Paul was living for a future delight. Paul recognized that his sacrifice for the name of God, Paul recognized that his diligence, Paul recognized that his willingness to walk through that danger and stay the course was actually storing up for him a delight that he would access another day. He realized that there was treasures being stored up. He realized that there was reward coming. He realized that there was an eternal delight being built up, a delight that moth and rust could not touch. He was looking towards this eternal delight. I love how Randy Alcorn contrasts what he calls the, the dot and the line. You see, the dot is the vapor of this life. We may have 80 years, we may have 30 years, we may have 100 years, but at the end of the day, when we think about eternity, a dot and a line, this life is like a dot, it's like a vapor. It's a mist, it's here for a moment and gone. But following that dot is a line, 23 trillion years and counting. And God rewards those who diligently seek him, who press in to press through the danger. He says, when you're doing that, you are storing up treasure in a place that will go on and on and on and on and on. And Paul wasn't foolish. Paul recognized this future reward. And look what he does. He actually says, for our light. Now, this is crazy. I mean, Paul, it's like, man, you got me here, Paul. For our light and momentary trouble. So Paul's looking at this moment. He's saying, hey, y'all, I want to delight in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ right now. But y'all don't get it. He's saying, Micah, you don't understand. I am actually storing up for myself this light and momentary challenge, fisticuffs, beat down, persecution, light and momentary? He says, why do I see them as light and momentary? Because they're achieving for us an eternal glory, an eternal joy, an eternal delight that far outweighs the present danger. 
He says, I'm in the process of investing. I'm making decisions for Jesus that may look dangerous, but you don't get it. I'm not looking for my own harm. I actually value what's coming in the future greater than what I'm experiencing in the present. Yes, was he after the good of others. Yes, was he after the glory of God. But he was storing up. An account was building. And right now, Paul is not in heaven wishing he would have backed down off those stairs. Paul is saying, oh, praise God. I am experiencing a level of joy that we cannot comprehend. I encourage you, press through the danger. Keep your eyes fixed. Let's look to something higher. Let's look to something beyond. Let's prize something greater. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the trial, the danger, the challenge, but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Delight awaits those willing to push through the danger. And yet we're all tempted. We have good days. We have bad days. And as I was thinking about this very text and I was thinking about the vast majority of Micah's life has been avoiding danger. <laughs> Looking towards my own ends. And every once in a while I get it right, right? And one particular time as we were serving inside the context I was sharing with you, my, my vision, my, my passion my belief, my faith, I'll be honest with you, was growing dim for a few reasons. One of those was what my eyes were seeing. You see, I went with these high hopes. I went with a future vision. But every day, the challenges, the experiences, the, the pain, the hurt, begin to drown out that, that belief, right? Drown out that future hope. We had a group of brothers and sisters that were serving in this incredibly poor community, 300,000 people trying to survive on less than $1.25 a day. And about eight months in, I couldn't see the future. I just saw the death, the pain, the suffering. I just saw the circumstance right in front of me. And on one particular morning, I was ready to throw in the towel get my plane ticket and come home, 17 years ago. And I begin to just, by faith, just press in. 6 a.m., sitting out, looking over this community. And I begin to, in a counterintuitive way, begin to worship. And the Bible says that God inhabits the praise of men, and I can't explain it. But the Spirit of God came over me, and he began to move in me, and he began to restore in me. He began, began to remind me that, yes, I am weak, but he is strong. He began to remind me that he that is in me that is greater than he that is in the world. He began to remind me that through him we are more than conquerors. He began to remind me of his promises. And the more I sang, the more courage came. And it made no sense in the human form. But all of a sudden the vision was revived. Nothing had changed, but all of a sudden delight was there. And some of my Kisi and Kumba and and Kalenjin and Kukuyu and Luo, brothers and sisters, began to make their way down. And, and at this point, I'm pumped, man. You know, I'd come out of this little pit, and I'm now on the mountaintop. And I said, I said, y'all, sit down, sit down. I said, look out there. I said, so what do you see? He said, we see the mess. I said, no, 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 close your eyes. And I said, there's this beautiful place, a place that God sent us here to build. And together, we've built a center. 
And at this center, at this rescue hub, children, youth, and adults are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Disciples are being made using the platform of a, of a tool that makes sense in this economy. But poverty alleviation is happening. Holistic transformation is coming. The community is being touched. And by the grace of God, this is exactly what exists today. As the people of God, the church of Jesus, and our global brothers and sisters say, we want to press in, we'll push through, and now thousands are coming to hear about the one that loves them as indigenous brothers and sisters share the gospel. But we're making sure that food on your behalf, water on your behalf, educational services on your behalf, health services, small businesses are being created. Go church, your giving is going. Together, great delight is transforming communities as the gospel does its good work. And I want you to know you're a part of the impact. This is the projected impact through this year. And I would just simply tell you 17 years later, centers in East Africa, West Africa, Haiti, I would just tell you, because I'm going to be there in six days from now, that there's brothers and sisters that are glad that you're staying engaged in mission. But I'm also going to tell you that one day you will experience a delight that transcends anything you can experience in this moment. Hold on. Stay true. Keep your eyes fixed. Gaze at delight that outshines the danger. Now, Paul, I admit his example, it's compelling. But it calls us to look past the danger and see unending delight. And Paul invites us to follow him as he followed Christ. And Christ actually taught this to Paul. You see, Jesus saw the danger. He saw the thorn of crowns. He saw the whip with nine tails. He saw a wood hewn cross. He saw a skull shaped hill. He saw an angry mob. He saw a mock trial. Make no mistake, Jesus was well aware of the cross. But he looked beyond it. He took delight in something past it. And the Bible tells us that because of the joy, the delight awaiting him, he endured that cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. I submit to you today that Jesus took delight in the glory of God, that Jesus took delight in this reality. But I submit to you today that he looked past the danger and took delight in you. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 
Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ and this morning was simply a shot in the arm. Hold on. Stay strong. Delights on the horizon. But maybe you're here today and you're wrestling with this Jesus thing. You haven't gone all in. And today I invite you to behold the lamb. I I, I invite you to none other than Jesus. His arms are stretched wide. He paid a high price. And he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, the God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus, the one who gave his life for you. Now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to pray in a moment. But if you're willing to say, I give my life to Jesus today, raise your hand. I'd love to know who I'm praying for. Just slide it up nice and bold. Yes, sir. Anyone else? Slide it up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anyone else? Raise it high. Raise it high. Bold. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No magic words. It's a life yielded to Christ. But let me offer some. Let me pray with you. God, I need you. I confess my sin before you. I believe you died and you rose again. And today I place my trust in you. I turn from my path and I choose to follow you. I make you Savior and Lord of my life. Hey, Go Church, will you just give a round of applause for those who gave their heart to Jesus? Whether online or in the room, you have a faith family that wants to walk with you. Your journey has just begun. Check into the church. Come alongside community experience all that God has for you. And thank you so much for tuning in and paying attention. Uh, We do have a book that we'd like to make available to you. I don't get anything out of it. You can get it online. All the proceeds go to support the the ministry. In it, there's principles, there's stories that I think will encourage you. So I'd love to make that available to you. And last but not least, if you'd like to kind of get updates from the ministry, encouraging words, you can follow myself or Vapor on our social channels. Hey, Go Church. We are eternally indebted to you. On behalf of 573 people around the world, we say thank you for staying on mission. Thank you for taking great delight in the gospel and the person of Jesus. Jesus, we honor you. God, we need you. We love you. Let us see what you want us to see. Let us press in where you want us to press in. Father, help us to get to the end and look back and say we left it all on the field. Jesus, we prize you as greater delight than even danger. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, faith family.